Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Today we're going to talk about how to build wealth. Wealth is something that is very... I didn't realize it was so controversial, but it kind of is. A lot of people think that wealth means you have uber, uber amounts of money. We're talking like the Elon Musks of the world, people that have these like incredible private jets, never have to worry about money again in their life. Like that's the kind of people think people think of when they hear wealth. But for me, I just, I don't view it that way. I view wealth as just the accumulation of assets, whatever that looks like for your life. And so for some people being wealthy and being able to walk away from work and not having to worry about expenses anymore means that they need $30,000 a year. For some people, that means they need $250,000 per year. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter too much. The concept of building wealth is pretty dang similar. It really is. And we're going to go through, there's three main areas that you can focus on to help you build wealth. So let's go ahead and dive in. So let's start with just talking a little bit about how you can track your wealth to see if you're actually growing or if you're staying stagnant or what is going on in your financial life. The number that we use for that calculation is called your net worth. Now, your net worth is just a simple, almost snapshot of how you're doing as a whole financially. So I view this as your report card for your financial life. It has your assets, everything that you own, and your liabilities, everything that you owe. So to calculate this, all you would do you would start with your assets. What do you own? So things like your house. I include my house as an asset. I'll tell you why in just a second. But I include my house as an asset. What is the value of my house as of today? Any cash, checking account balances, uh, your emergency fund balance, any savings account balances, your investment accounts. What are those worth? When you log into your account, what's the dollar amount that it says that it is worth as of today? Your car, what is your car worth today? Any valuables around your house? Maybe you have antiques and you've been collecting some, I don't know, coins for years and your coins are worth 50 grand. That is definitely an asset. Now, keep in mind what something is worth and what you can actually get for it in the marketplace can be different things. I I see this a lot with furniture flipping. There's sometimes where people are like, oh, this is worth this much money. I, I looked on eBay and, and some were worth this much. But because it's listed for something does not necessarily mean that's what you're going to get out of that. And so usually what I lo- look for more so is the market market value. What can the market actually give you today? If you were to liquidate, liquidate meaning sell, if you were to sell all of those assets, how much are you actually going to get today? And so you're going to add up all of your assets. It's going to give you one really big number, or I mean, maybe small number. We all start somewhere. And then we move over to the liabilities side. Now your liabilities, again, is everything that you owe. So all of your debts, student loan debt, mortgage debt. If you're including mortgage as an asset, you have to include the balance of your mortgage as a liability. Same thing with your car. If your car is an asset and you have a car loan, you have to include that as a liability. Credit card debt, medical debt, debt you owe to a family member, any of that type of debt is going to be included under your liabilities. 
And so you're going to add up all of your liabilities. Once you have those two numbers, you take your asset number and your liability number and subtract the two. And that's going to tell you overall what your net worth is. Now, for some people, this number, when you're first getting started, like when I was on my debt-free journey years ago, my debt, my net worth was negative. I was like negative $30,000 in debt. So all that to say, this is very normal when you're first getting started with your net worth. Again, it's a snapshot of where you are with your financial life at the moment. The goal of that number is every six to 12 months when you track that, I like to track mine every six months. I used to do monthly. You just don't see too many changes monthly. So I go every six months. And it's really fun to see that number start to grow. Now, if that number is not growing, then you know that something is not going right in your finances and you have to do a little bit of a deep dive in. But at least you can start to see that snapshot and you can start to see the trend line of how are you doing as a whole. So net worth, when we're talking about wealth, I'm talking about your net worth, accumulating as much net worth as possible so that you can have more options, you have more freedom in your life, you can do whatever the heck you want within reason, of course. But that's what that whole number is kind of telling you. So let's dive into how we actually build wealth. I really think there's three primary steps. And of course, each of these steps is going to be broken down with some tips and tricks to help you along the way. But let's go ahead and dive into the what I think is the first step of building wealth. And that is to spend less than you earn. Now, this is the key to personal finance. If you only take away one thing from this episode, if you spend less than you earn, you're going to be okay. You're at least going to have some free cash flow. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to be successful with money because that's not enough to just spend less than you earn, but it does help you. It gives you more flexibility with your income and it gives you more freedom to do things with your money that actually grow your net worth. Now, if this whole concept of spending less than you earn is new to you, I highly suggest going back and listening to the episode that I did. It's titled Budgeting 101. It's going to do a deep dive into how to get control of your cash flow so that you can start to see areas for improvement where you can spend less than you earn. So that is a really good place to begin. But ultimately, where I heard this concept, and I've just told this story a few times on this podcast, but it really resonated with me, is when I was working as a Nell technician. So my job through undergraduates when I was in accounting school, I was working as a Nell technician. So I went to cosmetology school. I did this like three-month program to learn how to do manicures and pedicures and fake nails and that kind of stuff. And when I was going through that program, that was my job to get me through college. So I knew that I had to really figure out a way to support myself because I didn't have the family support structure to help me financially. So I was like, all right, we got to figure this stuff out. Let's do it. So that was my plan to go to school was be an LTAC. That helped me buy my first house. It helped me in so many ways. It was a really, really good career choice for me at that time. But one of the things that I thought was so cool about the salon that I worked at is it was a very high-end salon. Pedicures and manicures and all of our services were spendy. They really were. We were fully booked almost all the time. And it was just a really good clientele. And one of my favorite clients came in one time for her. She did biweekly manicures. It was so cute. She was in her probably about 60s. I think she was mid 60s at that time. And she was working for a very, very large construction company that was like a global commercial construction company. 
And I remember we were chatting one time and I was telling her that I was really interested in personal finance and I just loved learning about money. And we were kind of just talking about that. And one of the things that I thought was so cool about this lady is she had, she had been married, she had kids, but at that time she was divorced. So she was just like rocking her career, just focusing on her life and traveling and having a good time. And I really admired that because I had never seen that before in my life. I was like, wow, this is really interesting that you know, you can actually have a fulfilled life and not be in a relationship. Like that sounds like such a stupid thing to say. But for me, that was kind of a novel concept considering the way I grew up. And so I saw that and was like, wow, this girl's like, she's got her stuff together. This is really cool. And we were talking about money one day and she looked me square in the eyes and told me, Whitney, you will always be successful with money if you live below your means and you save your pay raises. And in that moment, I'm like, okay, what? (laughs) Live below my means. Got it. I think I'm doing that right now. And save my pay raises. Like, well, don't you want your lifestyle to increase a little bit? Like, you don't always want to live like a broke college student, right? And I realize now in adulthood, and now that I'm a financial coach and help hundreds of people all across the world, I realize that what she was saying is, yes, allow yourself to live a little bit, but don't get carried away right? Like just because you get a raise doesn't mean you have to go finance the new car. Just because you get a raise doesn't mean you have to go immediately upgrade your house. Just because you have a second child or a third child doesn't even necessarily mean you have to get a new house. And so when I started to really internalize that throughout my adulthood, I started to realize that that was really good advice. That was really smart advice. And it's advice that really helps you with that concept of spending less than you earn. It's very intentionally deciding that you are going to keep your living expenses lower than you think they should be or lower than you can afford. And the point of that is so that you have freedom. You have time freedom later. And I think the other point of that is you start to realize when you really internalize this, the stuff that we think we're going to get from buying things from money is actually not really true. Like a lot of times we seek happiness in purchasing material items. We seek happiness in the new car, the new house, the new clothes, the new electronics. Maybe it's like we seek happiness in trying to put our kids in every single sport that they possibly can be because we didn't get to do that when we were a kid. There's so many different ways that this shows up where we are constantly trying to buy our happiness. And what I would offer to you is that when you understand that happiness does not come from money, it comes from the intangibles, it comes from those small daily moments, that is when you can start to shift your mindset around consumerism and you can start to spend less than you earn. I was on TikTok the other day. And that place, man, TikTok will suck me in and I will be on these like random things where I'm like, how did I get here? That's the nature of the platform. But one of those videos that I came across was really, I mean, dude, it made me cry. It was so insanely good. And I wish I would have saved it, but I didn't. The whole concept of the video is when you're thinking about your life and you're thinking about your loved ones and you're thinking about that kind of stuff, the things that you miss when your loved one is gone. So things that you miss when maybe you get a divorce or when you are faced with death and you lose somebody you really care about is not the big stuff. It's the little stuff. It's like, and I remember with even like when I put my my pup Patrick down, the thing that I missed the most was his little pitter patters on the floor. It was that routine. It was him coming down the stairs in the morning when I was making my coffee with his little sleepy walk. 
that's the kind of stuff that you miss. It's not these big, grandiose things. You're not going to miss hardly anything, anything materially, but you will miss those small moments with people that you do care about. And so I think that a lot of our consumerism comes down to trying to fill a happiness and trying to fill voids when realistically, a lot of times we can fill those voids and we can become happier people when we start to improve our relationships with others and ourselves. And that does not necessarily cost a ton of money. Yes, you might need some therapy for that. That definitely does cost, but there are low cost alternatives out there. And sometimes even just like working on yourself can be something as simple as I'm going to go for a walk for an hour every day and just appreciate nature. And I know this is sounding a little preachy right now, but I really do believe this. I see it so often where people are constantly trying to buy things to make them feel better about themselves. And that's causing us to spend more than we earn, go into debt, specifically credit card debt, and we don't really get that benefit we were looking for. So what do we do? We turn to more things. Oh, maybe I didn't buy the right clothes. Maybe I didn't buy the right car. Maybe I didn't take the right type of vacation. Maybe if I just flew in business class, that would solve the problem. We always have this like hamster wheel of not enoughness. And really how to get enoughness is from internally. It's self-contentment. It's having a better relationship with yourself and with others. And I really do believe that. But spend less than you earn is the first step to building wealth. Now, the second step to building wealth, once you have officially started to spend less than you earn, you've got control over your cash flow, you're doing pretty good, you have some disposable income, that's where we start to invest the difference. Now, there's a ton of different ways to invest. There is the stock market. You can invest in bonds. You can invest in companies. Maybe you start your own business. You can invest in other people's companies. You can invest in real estate. You can invest in so many different things. And I think that really does have part of the issue is there's so many options. So it's hard to choose which ones do I do. So let's quickly go through a few of these so that you can start to see maybe an option that resonates with you. And maybe it will trigger something and make you want to do a deep dive into it further. So my favorite way of investing is what I call passive investing, which is all through index funds and ETFs. Now an index fund and an ETF is a low cost investment option compared to an actively managed investment. Actively managed meaning somebody's choosing, they're picking and choosing which stocks go into a fund. And then a fund is just a collection of stocks. Like this is probably a review for most of you. We talk about this a lot. But if you're new to the podcast, I wanted to give you a little bit of language so you understand what we're talking about. My favorite form of investing is always in funds. I really personally don't like to dabble in individual stocks. I just don't find them to be really worth the risk. And some people will completely disagree with me. That is okay. This is just my own philosophy on investing. I like to do things what I call the lazy way. It just works for me. So I will immediately have a contribution from my checking account, get pulled over to my IRA. And then from my IRA, I will then when I have enough money for a specific ETF or fund or whatever it might be, I will then go purchase an ETF or an index fund. An ETF is called an exchange traded fund. It's basically a collection of stocks that's traded like an individual stock, a little bit nuanced there. But basically, it's another way to invest your money. I also have investing episodes. So if you are so new to this stuff, go back and listen to the investing 101 episode, it's going to break this down very, very clearly. So once you have your investment selected, and then you go purchase it, what do you do after that? You sit back, you literally sit back and you do nothing, you let that money grow. 
And that is the beautiful thing about passive investing, specifically through index funds and ETFs, is that you really, when you invest, you don't have to do anything. You really do just sit back and let compound interest do its thing. Let's talk a little bit about what this could look like longer term. I did an Instagram post that I thought was so eye-opening, at least for me too. When I ran the numbers, I was like, damn, this is crazy. Let's say you want a million dollars by the time you're 65 and you are expecting a 10% return. Now we could argue until the cows come home about 10% or should it be six or should it be eight? Ultimately, 10% is what I use for this calculation. So if you're 20 years old, you have to invest $115 per month for you to let that grow and compound to a million dollars. 20 years old, 115 per month. Are you kidding me? That's like two DoorDash shifts per month. I know this, I've done it. It is so achievable, it really is. Now, once you hit 30, things start to change a little bit because we have less time in the market, right? Between 30 and 65 is less time than 20 to 65. So at 30 years old, you need to invest $307 per month in order to hit your $1 million investment goal. When you hit 40, $847 per month is what you need to invest from 40 to 65 to get a million dollars. By the time you hit 50, you're sitting at $2,623 that you have to invest per month in order to hit that $1 million. Now that's a crap ton of money. Like that's tough. At 50 years old, trying to invest $2,600 per month, it's really, really tricky. That's why this passive investing philosophy works so well if you can start by the time you're at least 30 or, you know, ideally in your 20s, but 20s to 30s and even in your 40s, it can still work for you. Now, if I was sitting there and maybe someone's listening and they're like, well, that sounds great, but I waited too long. I didn't do this. I don't have any money for retirement. It's not going to be a million dollars and I cannot afford $2,600 per month to invest. I totally respect that. If that is the case, that to me is where alternative investments come into play. Things like real estate, things like house hacking, that to me is a really good opportunity. So if I was sitting in someone's shoes where I was like maybe 55 and I needed to think about retirement, I have nothing saved, I would start to focus on cash flow. What types of investments will give me that cash flow, specifically even from real estate? Maybe you have one piece of property that you purchase that will generate, say, $12,000 per year in income. Like that's that's how much you would take home. If that's the case, and maybe you have a $50,000 salary is what you're thinking you need to survive. So then we just need $50,000 minus the $12,000. We only need $38,000 extra per year. So if you were to get essentially two to three more properties, you made it. You replaced your entire income and now you can walk away from work. So we talk so much about the stock market and index funds and ETFs and all of that stuff to get you to retirement. But I want you to know that that's not always the best option depending on when you're starting. Sometimes you don't have the $2,600 a month. That $2,600 a month would possibly be better spent into properties that will generate a cash flow for life. That is totally okay too. Or maybe you want to put that money into a business. Maybe you've been really skilled in your job and you just know that you could start a business that would do really well and doesn't even need to have you involved as much. So what you could do is you could put a little portion of that money aside and test your business idea. 
see how it goes. Maybe it's a coffee shop you've always dreamed of. You could scale that back and do a coffee cart at just farmers markets and events and see how that goes. See if you even like it. And if that continues to do well and you start to have a clientele, cool. That shows you proof of concept. Now you can go launch your coffee shop and then you can start to really grow it that way too. Like there's so many ways that we can test business ideas, but we really do have to scale it back and not put hundreds of thousands of dollars into a business idea that's not even proven that you're banking on for your retirement. Like that's a little risky in my opinion. But there are so many different ways that we can invest the difference. And the only way we have money to invest the difference is once we start to spend less than we earn, that is the best way to get started. And then once you're investing the difference, you're going to start to build up some more cash flow. You're probably going to be excited to invest more. You're probably going to want to take on some side hustles that increase your income. You're going to be negotiating raises. All of that stuff is happening in the background. But I do believe that these are the first two steps to building wealth. Spend less than you earn, invest the difference. Now, the third step, in my opinion, is the hardest. This is the step we all falter on in every area of our life, not just our finances, but specifically with our finances, we struggle with staying consistent. We are so programmed to want newness and excitement in our lives. I think we all really do crave that a little bit. Yes, we want routine. Yes, we want stability. But we also kind of want a little bit of an exciting life, whatever that looks like for us. And so sometimes what happens is we'll be on a path of doing really well. We have a debt goal. We're going to pay it off. We have our budget. We're going to start tracking. We do this really, really well. And then we get bored. We frankly get bored. We tell ourselves this narrative that this isn't fun anymore. It used to be a lot more fun when I was able to just go spend money on whatever the heck I wanted. This kind of sucks. I don't enjoy it. I don't like this. I'm going to just start spending my money and I'm going to not be consistent with my budget or paying off debt. Like this stuff happens to us all the time. And I really do believe that the key to success is staying consistent in everything. The person who can stay the most consistent and grind it out is the person that wins. In business, I see this all the time. I see people that do really, really well in business that will start off with a bang. They get in there. Maybe it's a YouTube channel they want to start. They will immediately have like 20 videos. They're like, all right, we're all lined up. We got 20 weeks worth of content. And what happens is they don't stay consistent. They kind of came out in a bang. And instead, it would have been better if they did maybe two videos per week and really timed it so that they weren't burning themselves out so quickly. That consistency piece is everything. And so when it comes to your finances, you have to find a way to make this stuff consistent. Automation helps with that. So anytime you can automate your finances, I think it's a great idea because it helps you with that consistency piece. It helps you consistently pay your bills on time. It helps you consistently save money. It helps you consistently invest money. It's a really, really good thing to do is to automate things. And I know we talk about this all the time too, but it really is important. And it shocks me when I come across people that still don't automate that are in the position where they should be automating, but forget to. It's a really big issue. The other way to stay consistent is to really focus on your routine. If you make finances part of your routine and part of just your normal daily basis where maybe you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is pull open your budget and you look at your expenses and kind of do a cross-reference, that's awesome. It's keeping it forefront of mind. It's working on those daily habits so that you aren't buying things out of boredom. It's instead you're buying things out of intentionality. That consistency piece is everything. 
The two books that I really recommend about helping you stay consistent and really observing your patterns in your life, the first one's The Power of Habit, one of the best books I've ever read. And the second book is Atomic Habits. Now, I highly recommend reading both of these kind of like one after another. Like I would read Atomic Habits immediately after The Power of Habit. I think they have a perfect marriage of how to really fix your life and how to build up a good habit system that works for your life. But ultimately, you have to figure out a way to stay consistent with yourself. And I will caution you, when you're trying to find ways to stay consistent, be really, really careful about feeling like you have to just try another new method. For most of us, we have all the tools we need already. If you have Google Sheets, you can create a budget. If you have a notebook, you can create a budget. There's no need to go invest in more and more tools and try new strategies and all of this stuff. Sometimes all you need is to just buckle down, quit looking for an easy fix, and just do the work you have to do. Unfortunately, that's not like a sexy thing to say, but it really is true. There is no quick solution. There's no pill you can take. None of this is going to exist. You just have to buckle down and use the tools you have available to you to better your life. And that will help you stay consistent. All right, guys, we covered the three primary ways to build wealth, spend less than you earn, invest the difference and stay consistent. I hope that this episode was helpful for you. And if there's one of these areas that resonated with you more, do a deep dive into that and start to learn as much as you can to create a system that works for your life. All right, that is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds podcast. Bye. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.